morning church. One of the reasons we do celebrate that moment um, is to Taylor's point, and, and I had no idea how or what she was going to share. I never do. I just love how God speaks to whoever gets to do that each Sunday morning. It's because we, I don't want to ever forget. I shared in one of our sermons a few weeks ago how there in our lives was a point where more month, there was more month than income. And God said, give, give, give. And we watched him provide and provide with the 90%, more than he could have ever provided with the 100%. And I've watched even in this space and starting Victory Church with the team that we've started Victory Church, how when the gifts have come in, the financial blessings have come into the church, how 0% of it has to go to me or Taylor. You ought to give God some praise for that because oftentimes, I should give you a chance to give him some praise for that. Many times it's very usual in a church plant for the church planter to raise his or her salary and for much of it to do that. So as I'm sitting there listening to her, I said, God, I'm grateful because I look around and I see the gifts that you give, not for things or so forth. It's because it's your worship as unto the Lord. But you should know as we steward well those gifts, we can direct it directly to ministry. That's huge. Now, sometime in the future, Matt, we'll probably have staff and God will allow us to to do some things in that regard. But he has blessed us to begin in a way that in our every nation world, I just got an email the other day that said, Paul, it's not about you. They didn't need to say that. I knew that. But they said, but my goodness, we've not seen this in every nation before. So I give God praise when it comes time to give, because I do remember when we had a baby (laughs) And it was one salary, and that wasn't enough. And yet, through giving, I believe, an extension of faith, God came in and provided more than just the financial piece, the healings that he provided for our kids and us. So it is a worship moment and is a part of this entire worship experience we call Sunday morning service. Amen? Um, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice, and and we are glad in it, Psalm 118 and 24 says. Uh, My name is Paul. And I am privileged, Frankie, to serve as your pastor here at Victory Church. And all of you who are here, it's really good to see you, those live streaming. Thank you um, for tuning in as well. We are glad that you took an hour out of your day to spend with us. We are grateful. Um, Here at Victory Church, we exist to see people reconcile to God and to each other. And that means simply and profoundly that we exist to make God recognizable, particularly to those who may not know him, such that they too can be reconciled to him. And for us who do know him, that we can support and encourage and hold accountable each other so that we can move forward, taking the next step of obedience in Jesus Christ, becoming further reconciled to him, which for me, maybe for you too, is a lifelong endeavor. And only out of that space, as we privilege, as we our privilege to steward the gospel, can we then see the horizontal reconciliation in being reconciled to each other? And our prayer is that that would be the best sermon ever preached out of this church. The real, authentic lives being lived together throughout Monday through Saturday. Ephesians 2 talks about Jesus demolishing the walls of hostility then between the Jews and Gentiles. And I believe that that power Unlike my jump shot, which has a little rust on it, not too much. There's no rust on the power of God. There's no expiration date on it. And that same power lives in you and me to see whatever it is, race, class, gender, education level, zip code, you fill in the blank, not be a wall that cannot be 
demolished by Jesus Christ. We believe that here, and we believe we get the opportunity and privilege to participate in seeing that lived reality. Now, if you are a tech fan, maybe that's a wall we can't. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just joking, sort of. Uh, no, we can pray from afar um, for any Hokies in the house. Uh, but it's, it's really, really a, a gift and a privilege for us to steward his gospel in that way to see his power realized in our lives, in our marriages, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the retirement communities, the places we volunteer. God, we want you to show up. And that's why we gather here together on Sunday to be uh, encouraged, built up in such a way that Monday through Saturday we can see that happen. Amen. Um, during the month of March, which we are now in, which is crazy, uh, we are going to be focusing on a sermon series entitled Reconciled to Each Other. Uh, last month, if you were with, with us, we focused on being reconciled to God. And in many ways today, we are going to begin in a way that kind of uh, picks up on where we left off in terms of being reconciled to God, because only from that place can we even begin to see reconciliation with each other. In that, if we're not plugged into the source, in many ways we can just be spinning some good well-oiled wheels, but spinning nonetheless. And so we want to talk this month and today particularly about being plugged into that source. And as we go throughout the month, talk more about how we might more practically engage this process of reconciliation with each other as we understand the gospel to speak it. And so today, I want you to turn your attention with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through uh, 21. And as you find that scripture, it'll also be posted on the screen here. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for your word. Your word that has been written over 1,600 years, over 40 different writers, three different continents, three different languages, hundreds of topics inspired by one God and useful for the teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training up in righteousness. I am thankful for your word. And I pray according to your word, Psalm 119 and 18 says, open up our eyes so that we might see everything that is here in your law. Because unless you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, we can't hear, see, or live out anything. So even as I share, Lord, I pray that you are the one sharing through me that I be removed and that you would take center stage and speak to me first, certainly, and everyone in the room about what your word has to say about our being reconciled to each other. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts as was prayed earlier. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Uh, it reads, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather, that, rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the title of today's message is Reconcilable. Reconcilable. Uh, my wife, uh, Taylor, who you just heard from in delivering the offering message, isn't she amazing? Isn't she wonderful? No. <laughs> She's awesome. Um, so she and I have been married 13 years. Rarely do we ever watch TV. We just, we don't. In fact, we only have cable now, and it's a really basic version of cable, like very few channels, because it was actually cheaper to get a little bit of cable with the internet than just to get the internet. Just kind of like cable really, really trying hard to stay relevant. Um, but, but I'm very guilty, and she knows this, of whether it's on my phone or on the ESPN app through the TV. I love watching videos of just old basketball highlight reels or old dunk contests, you name it, I can lock in for a good little bit and just get my fill of, of basketball. Um, and recently I caught a, an interview that Oprah Winfrey had done with uh, the greatest of all time basketball player. We settled that a few weeks ago, so there's no discussion. Michael Jordan, and uh, she, was <laughs> she, was, she was interviewing him, and while she was interviewing him, Charles Barkley came on the set. Some of y'all might remember this interview. It was back in 2005 when they were friends, and, and they were talking, and Oprah's interviewing them, and at one point, uh, they were roasting each other the whole time, and, and MJ said something like, man, have you seen Charles's swing? And they were talking about golf. He said, he, he's sick. There's like a sickness. It can't be cured. <laughs> and so Charles went on to say, yeah, he doesn't call me anymore. We don't, we don't play. He hasn't played with him since. So I'm sitting watching this interview on my phone. And I'm actually laughing at this exchange until I realized I'm Charles Barkley <laughs> in that respect. For some context, I didn't grow up with golf at all in the lexicon. It wasn't a part of my vocabulary. For those new to victory and to me and my world, I grew up in Long Island, the son of two parents who were uh, born in the Deep South, raised in Harlem, New York, and so much of their paradigm, even though we grew up in the suburbs, was still very much our own. So golf just wasn't a part of our language. But when I went through college, grad school, and ended up working, there were colleagues who used golf as analogies for things. And, and <laughs> like at the water cooler, it was a conversation, right? Talk about cultural capital that I didn't have. And I'm thinking, what are they? I don't get it. So I went out to play with them one day. Fast forward. That was the first and last that they ever called me to go out <laughs> and play with them. Had no idea what play through meant. Some of y'all golfers play through. I thought we were just being nice to people. And I realized, no, we were slowing them down. I was slowing them down. Humorous, yes, but the larger point that I think we could all relate to is at some point in our lives feeling like we are, 
as MJ was saying, there's no help for Charles. We, we, there's no help for us. We're too far gone. We can't be reconciled. Or maybe the person sitting next to you or your classmate or that professor of yours or the person with whom you volunteer. Maybe you live next door to them. They live in the community and you're thinking there's no hope. There's thinking. It's too stinking. I can't get with it and nobody else can either. I think our text today makes clear, though, that when God is recognized, people are reconciled. I'm kind of waiting for him to show up in my golf game still, but when God is recognized more generally, people are reconciled. We've shared from this space before that reconciliation implies there's a separation between two parties. There's an alienation. There's a fragmentation, if you will. It assumes there's a breakdown in a relationship. But with reconciliation, that fragmentation changes to fellowship, to connecting, to engagement. The Bible says about us that we were actually dead in our sins and that our sins separated us from a holy God. And our being reconciled to him is the objective work of Jesus Christ on the cross, our text tells us. And yet there's a subjective element to this as well. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Some of that subjective element that we can participate in is that we can be transformed. And similarly, in this text, there's an opportunity again for us to engage. We can be reconciled to God. So yes, reconciliation is made possible by the cross of Christ only, but it's only appropriated when we recognize God. When we take the cross and the death and the resurrection of Christ and we make it applicable to our life and our relationships. That's our engagement in being reconciled to him. And by extension, when we do that, we are also, our text says, given then the ministry of reconciliation to steward which is essentially our opportunity to announce the nature and condition of the plan for reconciliation, both with God and with each other. The people at Corinth, the people to whom the Apostle Paul was writing, not unlike you and me, had some issues. And I like when you talk to each other, so find somebody, if you don't like the person next to you, look over them and just say, I know I look like I got it all together, I know I do, but I got issues. I got some issues. Now, I know we come to church, it's to be refreshed, it's to be built up, it's to be encouraged, so that is in no way, shape, or form meant to bring us down low at all. But it is, though, to remind us that we are such that we do need to be built up. We do need to be refreshed. We do need to be sharpened by none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There were about 400,000 in this city of Corinth. Jews, Greeks, a mixed multitude of folks, very wealthy city. It also had a well-known reputation for immorality. Paganism, for example, was rampant in the city of Corinth. And yet it was in the middle of that city that the Apostle Paul said, we're going to plant this church. Because when God is recognized, people are reconciled. 
And now we, too, get the privilege of making him recognizable. 1 Corinthians, just to go back, this 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that first book of Corinthians was a letter from Paul written after he had heard about all the issues that they were having at this church that he planted on his second missionary journey. And the letter helped to address things like disunity, orderly worship, marriage, uh, spiritual gifts, and so forth. 2 Corinthians, the book that we're finding our text in, is a letter that he had written because the church at Corinth began to challenge him, challenge his teachings and his authority. They called him fickle. They called him proud and boastful. Go back through 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Boastful was in chapter 3 and 5. They called him worldly. They called him unimpressive in appearance and speech. You can't dress Paul. They called him unstable in thought. They said he wasn't a true apostle and that he was dishonest. Step aside for a minute and just, just think about your day at work or at school or uh, where you're volunteering at. You're in that space and you are there to help and serve people. But the only things that you're hearing from the people you're there to serve are things like, bro, did you get dressed in the dark <laughs> today? Or sis, every time you open up your mouth, I literally feel like I'm getting dumber by the day. Or like a buddy of mine in college used to say, why don't you go take a long walk off a short pier? Right? Well, why, go do that. If you're hearing those things as you are serving these folks, or you're doing the helping and the only feedback or thoughts you're getting back or how you can help them better. Some of y'all are thinking of, oh, that has been me. Now think about your response <laughs> to that or what you would like to do in response to that. That comes a bit close here to what the Apostle Paul was experiencing. He's there, he's serving them, establishing a church, writing these letters to help them, and then this is the feedback that he's getting. But he doesn't do what many of us might think to do. I'm sure you would never do those things that you might think. You probably don't even think it. But rather, he writes them this letter. No revengeful behavior. He doesn't turn his back on them. He writes this letter, which for us is the book of 2 Corinthians. And in the text that we've read today, he's defending himself against those charges. And he's doing so by making the case that God is the sole driver of his behavior. And his hope is that they would recognize God in him. Because when God is recognized, people are reconciled. So Apostle Paul now was announcing to the church at Corinth the nature and the condition of the plan of reconciliation that Jesus, verse 15 says in our text, died for all of us so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. We don't live for our careers. We don't live for our reputation. We don't live for the bank account. We don't live for the Republican or Democratic Party. But for him who died for us and was raised again. Paul is saying, do you see him? That's why I'm here. And as such, in verse 16, it says, we no longer regard others from a worldly point of view. When we're in Christ, we turn from the crazy stinking thinking, and we become a new creation when we're transformed, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago in Romans 12. By the renewing of our minds, we think differently. We embrace his perspective, which, yes, is very countercultural to the many perspectives that invite our attention on a daily basis. So the Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Corinth in verse 18 of our text that all this is from God, emphasizing the point that he had nothing to do 
with what was being done, but that it could all be traced back to Jesus, not him or his agency or his power, but literally to God, the one who reconciled all of us in him to himself through Christ. He was to be reconciled and recognized at all times. If there's any chance at all that I, that we are going to be reconciled with those in our life with whom we've become estranged, God is going to have to be in it. If you're going to have a chance at all of reconciling with those with whom there is a gap, colleagues, family members, friends, the people that you can probably picture in your mind, God is going to have to be involved. If we're going to have a shot (laughs) at seeing the city of Charlottesville, our community reconciled to each other, God, the one who bridged the largest gap in relationship known to mankind, must be at the table. He must be running the table, the meeting. And that same God gives us the ministry. He commits to us the message of reconciliation. That can excite and freak you out a little bit. (laughs) When I think of what he did on the cross, the messy work of reconciliation, he's now saying, you steward it. You be the hands and feet of me in this earth says in verse 19, God didn't count people's sins against them, but instead he took them on himself, which is incredibly good news. Because it means that no matter how bad you think you are, how far you think your cousin or your spouse or your neighbor has gone, how jacked up your child is, the thinking of the people around you, and it might be which as a quick sidebar, reconciliation, this will be more about what we get to in the next few weeks, isn't just about the absence of tension. And we're not going to go there too much. It's not just that. There will be moments where you get to speak into and disrupt the chaos of this world, the thinking that is problematic in its orientation in that it perpetuates the disunity that we experience. There's a place for that, but we wanted to set the table in terms of from what place we can even begin to have the conversation that then reconciles people to God and to each other. So first things first, back to this message today. It doesn't matter how wide the gap is. It doesn't matter how much you may be embarrassed because you feel like, gosh, I should have known better. God sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to die for me. He sent his son to die for the person sitting next to you, the person in the cubicle next door, to you and the person you can't particularly stand. He died for them too. The person you think is irreconcilable, which might be you (laughs) and it might be others. His work on the cross ended our estrangement from him and it opened the door then for how we can end the estrangement amongst each other. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, he deemed us reconcilable and he died for us. God's arms, thank the Lord, are not too short to reach you or me or that family member you've been praying for. When God is recognized, people are reconciled. Verse 20 says this. Apostle Paul says, and similarly, we can, uh, can, can also assume this posture in our communities that we are Christ ambassadors and we are to implore others to be reconciled to Christ. We get to announce the nature of, and the condition in our city, the plan of reconciliation. We get the privilege of making it easy for others to see God. 
we get to communicate through our lives that no one is too far gone. We can all become the righteousness of God, not through our own works, but because God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to take on sin for us. And we get to be the conduits through whom the Holy Spirit can literally demolish the walls of hostility as he did in Ephesians 2 between the Jews and the Gentiles and bring real reconciliation in our earthly relationships as well. As we conclude, about a year ago, on a Friday, I was in Penn Station. Anybody know Penn Station? New York City. We'd gone up to New York because my mom's first cousin had passed. He had lived an amazingly long life. We were going to celebrate that life. Taking the train up from D.C. So we get on this train, or rather we drove with my sister and my brother-in-law, but we knew they wanted to hang out a little bit later. And so on the way back, my mom and I took the train back home together. And my only job on the youngest of four kids was to get mom home. Like that was it. Get mom home safely. We're in Penn Station. I'm thinking about my bride of 13 years, our beautiful kids that we're getting back to. My mom, I'm sure, is thinking about her husband, my dad of 61 years that she was getting to go back home to, and he couldn't make the trip for health reasons. So it was just she and I, and we're in Penn Station, and we're looking around, and we're thinking, how do we find the train that we need to get on? How are we going to get there? Well, there are some screens in Penn Station, as there are other metro facilities, and we started looking at the screens, and we're saying, what train do we get on to get to where we need to go? And literally, they have them listed by train track or by time. And we're going down the list of where everybody was going. And then they get to where ours was supposed to be, and nothing was there. So, of course, I'm thinking, just get mom home. <laughs> get mom home. Nothing was there. It skips it. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, um, what do we do? Are we going to be delayed? Are we going to have to get on another train to take us to Pittsburgh? And then from that, to get, are we going to put some things together to get to the place that I think we need to get to or what? And then, of course, it came up on the screen. A little late, it did, but it came up, and it was about 100 of us locked in on the screen at this point in time. And at that point, we literally turned together, all 100 of us, and like a herd of folks just started moving towards the track that we were being told to go to. What is the story of your life saying? People are watching. They're listening every single day. Where do I go? What direction do I go? And maybe not explicitly are they going to say, can you point me in the right direction here in life? But they're looking. And there in society are messages that will tell them and take them on detours all over the place such that they're putting together this plan and that plan to make one own plan to get to what they think they might call home. And all the while, we're there in front of them, in their class, in their workplace, with the opportunity to say, no, recognizable here. God is here. Here's the train. Here's the track. Follow. Is there anybody who wants to be in a place that says, I don't live for anything else but the kingdom of God and what he says? Because it's when he's recognized, then we can be reconciled. It's from that place that we'll find the horizontal reconciliation that we seek. And I want you for a moment to imagine what it might be like for you and for me to not regard anyone with the worldly point of view anymore. What might that look? Imagine. Imagine when it said all these things, Apostle Paul said all these things, they come from God. Imagine if that's the conversation literally and figuratively in our lives. All these things, what you see about me, not perfect, clearly. My wife can tell you that over 13 years. We got issues, all of us. But imagine 
by each passing day, people and all that they see about you isn't you just wanting to get tenure or they, they're not just seeing you want to get the next paycheck. They're not just seeing you want to get the next client and doing anything to get there. They're not seeing you not forgive the person that you knew dug a hole under you. They're seeing something different that says there's more there. Yes, they're successful in their profession and we ought to be the best because we can bring some, high, some light to who God is when we are the best in that space, but there's more than them just being the best. They don't dominate like everybody else does. They don't dictate like everybody else does. They don't navigate this political terrain like everybody else does. I see God in them. That's attractive. How can I be reconciled to him? And when we do that, when we are having the herd of people like us in the Penn Station going to this place, then maybe there's an opportunity to say, hey man, we all going in this direction. Um, help me understand whatever fill in the blank might be, and we'll get to that in the coming weeks. Not just the absence of tension. We're not just around just to not have problems. No, we want to disrupt chaos, but it's got to be from the place of being reconciled to God, such that when we open our mouth and say, that thinking is very problematic and oppressive to this group of people in these ways, we're doing it in a way that they can feel God's love coming forward with the truth of the gospel. And Jesus, as we'll talk in this coming month, gives us examples replete on how we might do that with humility and grace and kindness and compassion. But in a way that says, Jesus has something to say about this reconciliation thing. But let's first make him recognizable. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk about extending this conversation of what clothes we ought to put on to make him recognizable. And there's always tension with that because some clothes we don't want to put on. <laughs> but we're going to talk a little bit about that in how we can facilitate reconciliation with each other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your work on the cross that has reconciled us to you and has opened the door for horizontal reconciliation that you desire for us to experience. The Lord's prayer says, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I know when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. And I sing the songs my granddaddy and my ancestors sang of when I fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. But Lord, I too want to experience and bring heaven here. As I pray that prayer, help me to participate in that. What does that look like for Paul Harris to be better every day? We surrender to your will, to the power that has no expiration date so that you can do what you want to do in this earth and in our lifetime such that we can pass the baton here in the city of Charlottesville to our kids and grandkids and say, keep going. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, you might be here sitting and thinking, you know, this reconciliation thing to God sounds really good, but I still feel like there's a gap between me and him, like as in I've never acknowledged him as being the one to bridge that gap. And you're wanting a fresh start in that regard. A fresh start that says, God, I got issues. And I know it's not about me getting myself together first before I come to you because that'll never happen. But it's about me coming to you now so that you can get me together. If you want that fresh start today with eyes closed and heads bowed, raise your hand real high because we want to pray with you. those of us in the room whose hands did not go up, but you're sitting here thinking, I know you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And I know I still got a ways to go, which is all of us. God, help us. 
Help us take the next step of obedience. Help us to make you recognizable. Help us to recognize you ourselves as we endeavor to make you recognizable so that others can be reconciled to you and out of that place to each other. We thank you for this opportunity to steward your gospel well, to steward this ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, we pray today that we would carefully, with wisdom, steward well. Thank you that we are reconcilable. Thank you that those in our sphere of influence are as well. And may we see with your eyes and hear with your ears what you see and hear. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 We are encouraged by the word of God prayerfully that he is with us every single step of this journey. Because if he were not, that would not be encouraging. But that he is excites me. And I hope it excites you too. Joseph mentioned earlier we have a prayer team who will be down front uh, after the service. If there's any pressing issue you have in your life or maybe you just want the good things that are happening in your life to keep going... We want to partner with you in prayer uh, toward that end. And so whoever those two individuals are, Mark and Kate, right up front, you can come on up now, and our worship team will close us out. Please join us up front afterwards. Thank you. Amen.